come to the mortal realms, the Nature Sigmar Geimer phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through David's and forge our own narratives in the age of Hamilcar. Your allies through the Geimerverse this episode are... Hey, I'm Paul. And guys, this is David Geimer. I mean, he's written for the old world. He's written for the age of Sigmar. And like, as, as far as I'm concerned, he's one of those people that it's like a mason of what we know now. You might even call him a realms layer. And I'm Will. He's written about myths. He's written about legends. But right now, we just want to hear about the guy, Mer. <laughs> Classic. Uh, and I'm Aaron. And I welcome you all to the Helden Hall, not as vassals, but as one great king greeting another. Uh, and in this episode, we'll chat about the bear eater, the champion of the gods, the force of personality and God's gift himself. And then if we have time after all that, we'll talk with critically acclaimed black library author, David Geimer. David Geimer. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Welcome. Hi, guys. And thanks for the introduction. <laughs> it's heavy, isn't it? It's a lot. I can tell um, you didn't know you're in for such a such a treat uh, this evening. And so are our listeners. Um, we're here to chat with David Geimer, another in our uh, Black Library author series. Um, a little peek behind the curtain. We tried to do this like forever ago. In fact, he was going to be our, our first foray into it, I think almost a year ago. But uh, we, f- we finally gotten around to it um, a, a year later. I've been waiting for like a thing to happen, a thing to like roll up. And I think uh, in to coincide with in honor of the re re re-release of realm slayer uh, i thought that seemed like a good uh, opportunity to do so so um david we'll we'll chat about that a little bit but hey we're gonna we're gonna pick your brain on all sorts of things um so again thanks for thanks for joining us yeah cool we can we can still talk about grumbrindle even though we missed it the first time around oh believe me i have lots of things to say about grumbrindle as well <laughs> yeah, yeah too, too true and actually i'm sure some pregnant questions are going to be dropped in there too oh, right yeah Excellent. So normally in episodes, we have all sorts of things that we cover right in the beginning, preambles, just to get the juices flowing. But with these author interviews, I have not set up a very good format. And so I just we just, just sort of dive right in. Uh, no warm up needed or uh, involved whatsoever. So, hey, let's get let's get to it. David, we yeah. let's start at the beginning because it's a great place to start. Uh, typically, we ask folks, hey, how'd you get your start in Warhammer? as a whole, sort of broadly, as a hobby, as however you define it. What was your first toe dip and how did you, how did you get here? It was uh, Space Crusade. Ooh. Me, I don't know if uh, you guys played that, if you're of, of an age with me. <laughs> Paul would be maybe the only person I yeah. know. Yeah. I played HeroQuest, but I haven't made it to Space Crusade. Um, but I so played yeah, that, was, that, was my, that was my first. I, I bought that and I remember seeing uh, some Gene Steelers uh, on a in, you know, just a generic toy store. And I think, oh, it's more stuff for Space Crusade. But of course it wasn't. It was it was 40K. And then I found, I bought a white dwarf, I think, there. And yeah, was into yeah, it ever since then. I think I was 13 years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, wow. Would you say that you've been in the hobby ever since then? Or did you kind of go in fits and starts? Or I feel like you always hear stories of people who fall in and out of the hobby. And- yeah, in and out. I uh, So yeah, I started then. I was in it solidly. Up until I was 18, didn't take it with me when I went to university. Uh, did a bit of role play while I was there. It's mostly you couldn't carry it. I had no, to get a train to the other side of the country and I couldn't take all the miniatures with me. So uh, I did role play uh, before, did Warhammer role play and, okay. and, uh, and others. Did that in more of a big way at university. And then when I came back home, um, there was a few of my old school friends living nearby and picked it up again. And never quite in as big a way as I did when I was a kid. 
but uh, I do play more now than I did sort of in that those that middle period, let's call it. But I mostly do skirmish games now. Uh, mm-hmm. Necromunda, Blood Bowl, Warcry, uh, Aeronautica. Games that require less time and fewer miniatures, basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, I think, is a trend, especially with, like you said, of age. You know, if folks our age, um, it makes it easier to pop in. Yeah, and about. jobs, children yeah. of our own now. <laughs> yep. For each of those games, you're going to have to rattle off what, like, warband or faction you play for each one of them, because the, the listeners, they, they want to know. So what do we start with? Necromunda. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I've got Enforcers at the moment. I'm playing an Outcast uh, scum gang. I've just bought some Corridor and Redemptionists for next year. What do we mention next? Uh, Aeronautica. I've got some Eldar and Tau planes. Um, I mentioned Blood Bowl, Skaven, of course, my beloved Skaven. Of course. Is it, is it a Skaven question <laughs> later? Yeah. Uh, uh, and then what about War? Actually, Warcry is probably closest to my heart, so I'd be curious to know there if you, if you do. Uh, I haven't I haven't started yet, but uh, the got an indie game store nearby, and he's trying to get us all to play a Warcry Warcry Slow Grow campaign. Um, I, we should have had I, some Dogs of Warcry reps on the episode to really push <laughs> the screws to get you get you yeah, going. Maybe, maybe I don't know if we have comments, someone can someone can <laughs> recommend me. A sure, good sure. Warband. I think you can play Skaven there too. Yeah, um, so then, I mean, I, I would ask at what point in this trajectory did you start working with Black Library and what was that transition period like? How'd you get your start? I'd love to hear that story a little bit. So it started through an open submission window in oh, yeah, okay. 2011. Wow. A while back. With uh, a Rotus Skaven story. First story I'd ever written, never written. Nice. I, I, I I'd, I'd kind of written, I, I think two or three years before I decided I wanted to write a book and uh, didn't finish it. But then while doing it, wrote this short story and sent it in. And that's probably why I didn't finish it, to be honest, because uh, it got accepted. And then after that, I kept on writing for, for Black Library, so I didn't have time then to, to, to finish it. I've looked at it occasionally and think it's awful. <laughs> I bet, it, I bet it's not that bad. When you're talking before about getting it into Warhammer's, it, it sounded 40k heavy, but it sounds like you, your first story then was a Skaven story. What what no, did no, that transition? So, so yeah, although I started playing with the Space Crusade and therefore recognized the 40k miniatures, um, I, I didn't play a lot of 40k as a kid. Okay. It was, uh, if I remember it, the White Dwarf, uh, they just released Chaos Dwarfs and had a big feature on Skaven. Ooh. So that's, I, I think there was even like a little feature of Vicket Claw. And so, yeah, so clearly teenagers are impressionable. Yeah. So, no way. <laughs> White Dwarf advertises Skaven and 30 years later, I'm still... <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Playing them. Um, we, I got some Imperial Guard a little bit later on, but didn't play hugely. Everyone, all my friends were playing fantasy no one really played 40k there those are my kind of friends nice (laughs) so it's interesting because we always talk about like white dwarf as like a boon to the hobby and helping people out but it really is just a recruiting mechanism for black library (laughs) authors you get them in young so then they can write novels later sure you hear that a lot actually so what is it about the character of skaven that you were like number one allowed you to get the ability to complete the story right number one and number two 
allowed you to see some aspect of them in you or like is there is there a parallel there something that really grabbed you about that race that allowed you to, to write that story did you, did you just call him skaven like yeah, i was gonna oh. say I'm gonna, <laughs> did. I'm gonna play it out there i think it's probably just playing them you know reading reading their army books from a young age i feel i know them but also i hadn't now i can probably say i've read most black library books <laughs> then of course i had to actually pay for them and they go out and buy them and, and so I'd only read uh, I'd read fewer and the ones I'd read were probably mostly about Skaven you know things like um, Gotrek and Felix and the Fagquell books so I felt I had a good uh, insight into them and as for what makes me write them well I don't know I think I do like that kind of dark comedy aspect that you get with with them like yes it's horrible but at the same time you know, it's a bit ridiculous at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like a kind of humor because it, it takes you out of like, I'm talking about things being killed constantly left and right. But, you know, so. Like like no other race could have a thankful in it. Really, could it? Yeah. True, true. Very cool. Well, back to sort of the transition um, to Black Library. And you know, so your first open submission story was the, the Skaven story. Where did you go from there? And what was that sort of like getting integrated into i guess black library um what, what did that process look like for you and how's it uh, worked thus far so yeah i was uh invited down to nottingham and i had a chat with laurie golding who was the sort of submissions editor at the time i don't know if you guys remember him from his time at black library and uh and then yeah so it wasn't an so the story became um the tillian's talisman in the in the gotrick and felix anthology okay uh, that wasn't how it was initially submitted, but uh, so I yeah, obviously they just want to know if you can write a little bit. They're like, well, we like your writing, but can you turn this into a Gotrek and Felix story? So <laughs> well, that's that's what it. Sure. And they like that, and I mean, it's amazing, really, looking back now that they liked it enough to then give me uh, Curse of the Ever Living mm-hmm. to write uh, the audio drama. And then Head Taker, after that, my first novel. Um, but then to give me Gotrick and Felix with Kinslayer and Slayer. And I mean, yeah, it's incredible, really, because uh, I've only been writing a couple of years, only writing for them for a couple of years, you know. Sure. I like, I like the idea of like the, your story and they're like, hey, can you change this to a Gotrick? I mean, that must be such like a, a heavy question to be like, wait, hold up, what? <laughs> to like to transform this thing into like, I mean, Obviously, Gatrick and Felix is like has a storied history by now, but even then, there was some like weight to that, I imagine. So, like, that's yeah, to your point, very impressive. I mean, even then, I mean, the original run, the Nathan Long run, had been over for a while. I mean, Mm -hmm. so Zombie Slayer was certainly out, and uh, and back then, even I hadn't read past uh, uh, Giant Slayer myself, so okay, had some homework then, yeah, yeah. So, so you started off reading you said Gotrek and Felix you submitted one short story that was the first short story that you completed that immediately got turned into Gotrek and Felix and then you got asked to write Gotrek and Felix like how did that like process work in your brain where you're like okay I don't really know if this is real life but like this is what I'm doing now like how like what was that process like uh I do 
I do remember when it's like, do you want to make this a Gotrek and Felix story? It's like, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's scary. Yes. So yes, the answer. I mean, you'd be kicking yourself if you ever said no, right? Like, it's, that'd be a great regret if you didn't. So when someone asks you that question, the answer is yes, regardless if you think you can do it or not. But um, Well, and like hearing that, like, oh, can you turn this into Gotrek and Felix? Like, uh, it sounds like, oh, they're just trying to get Gotrek and Felix into everything. But then they kept on giving you more. So there was there had to have been something in like the way you wrote that they were just like, this is perfect for these characters. Let's do this. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I must have thought I guess they must have just thought, yeah, he gets Gotrick and Felix, or he writes them the way we think they should be written. That's awesome. I, I have a follow-up question uh, dealing with Realm Slayer, which is that when you wrote the audio, right, which is different than writing a novel, obviously, because then you rewrote it into a novel form now, did you know that you were going to be writing for Brian Blessed to be speaking Gotrek, or no? No, even... Uh... Even at the Black Library weekend, uh, when they announced it and said someone big was going to be doing it, they wouldn't tell me who it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I tried to uh, I tried to get something out of them. Obviously, I wanted to know who was doing it. And uh, the audio uh, producer guy, um, who I'm terribly sorry to him, uh, name has escaped me, told me it was BB. And I was racking my brains on the drive home. Oh, you couldn't. That didn't come to me at all. <laughs> wow. I don't know if you know this guy uh, over in America, but the, mm -hmm. that, the only name that came to me was Bill Bailey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. He's oh, a, he's a musical, uh, he's a musical like, comedian. Yeah, I can't imagine him doing Gotrek. Like, it, it's, it's the exact opposite of what I imagined. I was sitting in the car going, he could do it, I guess. It could work. <laughs> like, I have to trust the producer that he knows what he's talking about. So, I don't know. I'm going to pull up a picture of the guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you can convince me, sure. <laughs> wow. That, that's uh, so, so to go from, no offense to Bill Bailey, he's a hilarious comedian and he does what he does really well, right? But to go from Bill Bailey being Gotrek to Brian Blessed being Gotrek, we're like, oh my goodness. Like, is this like, I never thought that ever would I write for something like this or is it like no this totally fits in my head and like wow this is happening now right how did that transition go huh, was a relief to be sure yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean I mean I know him from I've not actually seen Flash Gordon I have to admit I know him from Black Adder and uh, and so yeah it's pretty amazing to have him have him involved and then uh, over the next Black Library weekend when it first went on sale and you could just hear it like booming from people's cars in the car park. <laughs> and, uh, and that was uh, kind of surreal, you know, sort of three or four people who just bought it and they've put it in their car CDs. That's amazing. And so the thought I have to have is like, again, it's just this arc from you reading the books to submitting the short story to being asked to make that to Gotrek and Felix, then writing Gotrek and Felix, and then oh, Black Library being like, we're going to have Brian Blessed voice it, and David Geimer needs to write for him because he's the one who's going to give him the voice. Like, to me, that just, like, that would blow my mind to be given the responsibility, but also, like, the recommendation to, I'm good enough to do this. So that just, like, that sounds amazing to me. I doubt if they would have known beforehand who was going to mm -hmm. do it. I bet they probably needed to have a script to give to him. Yeah. And th there were some rewrites afterwards. 
Mm-hmm. Remember they said, can you make this a bit more, you know, Bryony? <laughs> like kind of exact terms, but like, you know, we've got Brian doing this now, so can you just alter the dialogue a bit to make it more of a fit? Like I think, uh, so for instance, in the in the novels, I think Gotek is a bit more sort of taciturn, and he might just go, <laughs> whereas for an audio with Brian, he had to, instead of just going, <laughs> say something big. That does give me a like a follow-up question, which is, so you wrote it, and they had you do rewrites for Brian for the audio drama, but now that we're turning it into a novelization, did the fact that you knew Brian was the voice of the character like affect how you like wrote it for Legend of the, the Doomseeker at all? It that probably sense? did. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's so certainly... So how I went about it, it was easier for the first half because for the first half... I'd written the scripts with a lot more description than went in. Mm-hmm. A lot of the description got... So nowadays, uh, or I say nowadays, in more recent uh, Black Library audios, they've moved away from having any kind of narration at all towards having just pure dialogue. Mm-hmm. So i just written it the way I'd written it. And... Uh, I said, oh, we're doing this thing. We're moving away from uh, having narration. But you've written all this stuff now, so we'll just try and pair it back as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was a bit of a godsend when I came to doing the um, the novelization because I had the original with loads more description and stuff in, so I could just, like, got my original script and I can then just paste some of these back in, massage it a bit, and uh, boom, now we've got, it was much harder with the uh, blood of the old world parts because I'd done it the new way, all dialogues so I had to write like, I had to pretty much write half a book on top <laughs> of that. So when you're talking about, um, did Brian influence it? So, I mean, even if I didn't have it in my head, <laughs> I'm working off that, um, frame. So uh, most of the, most of the dialogue is still in there. I might've broken it up a bit because things that work perhaps for audio don't always work the same way for uh, for prose. But I think what I was going to say earlier was that some of the voices definitely were in my head, like uh, Penelope Rollins' Malaneth mm-hmm. right in the head when I was doing her dialogue. And a lot of her, what I really enjoyed about doing the novel version was having internal monologue and thoughts and stuff which you can't have in audio and being able to really sort of explore her twisted thoughts was was quite fun oh nice Mm -hmm. um, if i could rewind just a little bit just a smidge just to get to the beginning i know the 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 original audio has been out for a while so i'm sure you've asked this or answered this question a bunch now but just just for so we can have it on file here um at this point but uh in terms of when they were realm slayer uh sort of conceived of did they come to you or did you come to them pitching the idea and what what, what was the what was the conversation about uh in terms of how do we get gatrick in the age of sigmar what, what did that how did that unfold so they came to me it was must have been a year or two after age of sigmar had first come out mm-hmm. had i written anything in age of sigmar yet i did write a book for the realm gate wars mm-hmm. did you write big red before that too and the more talk of night uh books mm-hmm. yeah um that's probably it 
they yeah they, they basically said they wanted um to give age of sigma a few years to bed itself in not okay. look like it's leaning on you know like legacy characters like like gotrek you know they've already got manfred and nagash and all that lot but yeah they came and obviously it's a long time ago now i can't really recall the exact specifics but I went down to Nottingham. This was the days of in-person meetings and gross. Ooh. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Time and George Mann were in there, as well as some editors and uh, audio uh, people, and, and we sort of talked about how he could come back and uh, what kind of story to tell. And again, I can't remember who who had what idea, but uh, sure came up with this idea of, of fire slayers perhaps accidentally bringing him back by gathering lots of uh gold together mm-hmm. sort, of, sort of in lieu of grimnir in a way and uh perhaps having each of these audios as a kind of uh sort of focusing sorry focusing each chapter each disc of the audio on on a new potential companion that was at least that was how we were thinking of it the first. So the first one is Brodover Fire Slayer, and the second one is is Jordain, mm-hmm. uh, the Human Prince, and the third one is Uthan Barrowwalker, the Necromancer, and finally you got Malaneth. Yeah. And so that perhaps, you know, listeners might be thinking, oh, who's going to be the new companion? Or is he going to find Felix? I, I both recognized that sort of distinction, but I never put two and two together that it was an intentional like choice to be done across the discs. And yeah, okay. I, I, in hindsight, yeah, obviously that makes sense, but okay. Good, good tidbit. It was nice having all those, those heads involved because mm-hmm. uh, I think sometimes when you just, you know, sat in a chair or walking around, pacing around a house, trying to think of a plot for a story, you can end up nowhere, but just to be able to talk about ideas and inspire each other's ideas, it was, sort of misdoing that sure. you can't do that for everything but. i was gonna say do you, have you had a chance to do that process or a similar process for any other works that you've done no not like that no i bet the only other thing was the end times which was before that of course must be bad i mean it's, but it seems like it could be helpful you're right so i mean maybe some big monumental event will come up eventually. i'm sure like the dawn name. of fires do it and obviously the horse heresy famously does it oh true mm-hmm um, well, that the reason I even asked that question, besides it being interesting, is then it leads into my next question. Then, uh, how did this latest iteration then of you know Realm Slayer, the, the the new novelization of it, how did that come to be? Um, what was sort of the impetus there? Again, uh, so basically, pretty much anything I do, it it comes from them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not very uh, up and at them. Uh, at least whenever I have, has never come to anything. <laughs> but that's not always the case for others, right? Like it, it, it maybe an author by author basis. Cause I feel like we've talked to others who have pitched things before too. Um, but it sounds like that's not as much your MO. I'm trying to think of ever successfully pitched. <laughs> you could pitch us right now if you wanted and we'd, we'd love it. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that'd be a question later. Give it, give anyway, us your best pitch. <laughs> what, uh, why? I, I don't know, but I, I'm glad it did because obviously the, the script book came out, but only mm-hmm. in like a very limited fashion and, I'm sure it's got sort of uh, a kind of niche appeal compared to a, you know, a good, a good novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me, directly leads into my next question is: Are you a plotter or a pantser? I feel like you've kind of answered, but you've kind of danced around a little bit. I'm a big time plotter. I, I think I sometimes I get a bit carried away and want to start straight away, but I always regret it if I don't plot properly. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have to go back and start again. We write everything five times. And <laughs> awesome. I still, to this day, don't know what that question means. And I don't <laughs> want anyone to explain it. I don't want to know. <laughs> you ask it every time and I don't get it. Before I'd heard the term plotter and panzer, I always called it iron breakers and war dancers. Ooh. Ah, that's awesome. That I get. I like that. Very determined and deliberate. And yeah. It's the war dancers. So no. That's awesome. I am an iron breaker. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase one of the other questions that we have here, which is, would you call any of the characters that you write your own? Or because they have all been pitched to you, would you call them somebody else's creation? Just Hamilcar, I suppose. And maybe Prince Lurian as well. Yeah, so. Wait, those are examples of characters that you do consider your own? Yeah? Yeah. Okay, good. I was worried otherwise. I guess I say I never pitched anything, and it's kind of true. But so Hamilcar, he appeared in the first Mortark of Night uh, story, and then I wrote all the others. And Nick Kime was like, oh, there's something a bit missing in this final one. Why not bring, why not have Hamilcar come back from the, uh, through the realm gate? Because he dies in the first. Sure. He appears and he dies. And that, that was it. You know, he was done. Uh, but then Nick's like, why don't you bring him back? I'm like, okay. And then, uh, so I do. And then later on, he wants a short story and I pick some things. I was like, mm, why don't you write a Hamilcar short story? I'm like, okay, I will. So I did. And that was, I can't even remember. I really don't like it, though. It's the worst Hamilcar story. <laughs> it's the one when he goes to the, the stunning place <laughs> to, to hunt the vampire. But anyway, then uh ended up writing the book. Um, but it's all because, really, Nick kept saying, more Hamilcar, please. Another Hamilcar, more. another Hamilcar. Bring it back. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, ideally, you know, that's what you want out of a good editor a good person that's commissioning right is like oh i notice you do good things with this please give me more of that so that's all i mean yeah because hamilcar is easily one of my favorite characters across everything he's just he's such a you know larger than life character you know and and it's one of those things where you're talking about go trek and you're like he's kind of taciturn i'm like yep and then like brian blessed it which works perfectly but also i'm like but like Brian Blessed would be so great for Hamilcar too. Like I could just imagine him going around, you know, at least in my head. And it, it's such a, he's such a character. Like from the first word, you're like, oh, this is something different. This is something new. And for me, particularly, he was the first Stormcast character. That I'm like, oh, him. Who's he? Like, where's he coming from? Right. And the question I'm always asking is, but where is his miniature? I want him to have a miniature that I can buy and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So Just remember the name of the story. <laughs> it's Bear Eater. Oh, Bear Eater. Yeah. Yeah. The first Hamilcar short story that I wrote. And looking back on it, I really don't like it because uh, I hadn't quite nailed the tone and the, the, the first person narrator that I use in, in the book and later short stories hadn't got it there. So that's the reason I don't like it. But they always put it in the, uh, you know, get started collections. Like, oh, no, right. don't use that one. You, you use force of personality or, or, or God's gift. Those are the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just look. I'm looking at the list right here. Buried, hardest word, God's gift. Uh, and then the audio, champion of the gods, force of personality, agent of alignment. There, listeners, if you guys wanted a list of Hamilcar stories, I just did it for you. You're welcome. Yeah, and then you mentioned like, Hamilcar and then Prince Lorian are the two you consider like your own characters. What's it like writing like characters you consider your own as opposed to characters like 
Kragnos and Gotrick that are more like wider setting that like everyone can kind of write a story about. I remember when I wrote Headtaker, I was really anxious that the characters I'd created for myself, like uh, Sharpwit and Scar and, and uh, Thordun the Dwarf, that they wouldn't be able to compare to like, Queek and Cazador, who, mm. who really exist. And although Queek is quite a big character, mm. <laughs> difficult to compare to him, uh, I mean, they do. They do hold their own, I think. Yeah. Nowadays, I think I think of it a bit less, perhaps a bit of experience and confidence. I don't concern myself too much with it. It's fun, though. It is a, there's, a, there's a pride after the fact. There is, yeah, there's a certain freedom. I guess it's the same with, uh, you know, the, the cast in Kragnos. You can sort mm. of really create a whole raft of interrelationships and and little hatreds and likes and dislikes and character quirks. I mean, to an extent, there is that freedom with established characters as well, because there's, you know, there's not mammoth amounts of information written on them. At least sort of most characters in, in fantasy. Obviously, it's something a bit different if you're writing The Lion or... Right. Well, and yeah, that's one of the examples we used and like writing this question, which is like writing characters that you're coming up with alongside these established ones and the Kragnos novel being like the main example, like you have those human characters that you created, but then you have Kragnos, who is this godlike character who we've never actually heard from that much before. So mm. even though he's an established character, you were kind of the first person to write a story with them. What was that like? So I thought of him I think in sort of briefs from Black Library. I was sort of told to think of him as like a force of nature creature. And I was sort of imagining him a bit like, you know, Godzilla, you know, he comes in and stomps stuff. <laughs> and although his name's on the movie, uh, it's not about him, really. It's about all the little guys trying to sort of survive around him and in his path. So... Did they give you a a moment of this is where our storyline ends with Kragnos and then this is where our storyline picks up again and we want you to fill in the bits in between? Or like what do you understand what I'm asking? Well, I can't remember. It's that weird kind of COVID y period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> My memory of it is all like spaghettified. I don't know where where it starts. I mean I think I was asked to set it before events of uh, like the siege of Excelsis, but I don't remember that for absolutely certain. It's <laughs> just something we decided to do after uh, after some chats. So the no- I did start the novel before COVID, but I think it hit in the middle of it. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Did you get a chance to see the Kragnos miniature, or were you given a description of it? I had some uh, ultra top secret. Uh, PDFs with like pictures of me or something all over it. Like, this is David Geimer's. If you see this, fire that guy. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's very fortunate that you wrote that story because, and not to editorialize too much, but I, I'm not the biggest Kragnos fan. And if someone would be like, here's a no- novel about Kragnos, I would not have read it. However, David Geimer wrote the novel. I'm like, all right, fine. I guess I'll do it. And then it turns out being great. So there you go. Because, and I think to your point, it wasn't really about Kragnos. It was about everybody else. And that's what I think made it a very compelling uh, story. Yeah, it was nice making that, that cast of characters. I, I wouldn't claim to be in the same league but it's nice to do something a bit gaunt ghosty with uh, some uh, some some free guild guys that leads on to a question that i had which number one a comment thank you for putting spider fang in that book because that was awesome plus the way that they died was fantastic just having a mushroom <laughs> cloud and exploding was fantastic spoilers but number two the free guild where did you come up with the idea for how the free guild operated because it's one of the best examples that I've read in the Black Library or in the in the tomes of a reclaimed versus et cetera, right? You know, reclaimed versus Azerite. Like that's a such a great dynamic. So how did that come about and like where what was that process? So first on the subject of the spider fang, I just want to say I've always had a soft spot for what I feel to be lesser deployed uh, factions. So spider fang, ogres, savage erics. Mm-hmm. I, uh, Anything I don't see enough of, I I, I have a I like. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so free guild. Um, so this was obviously now we've got the cities of Sigma stuff, but didn't have that back then. So yeah. all kind of. Um, so there've been a few looks, hadn't there? Like in Josh Reynolds's books and uh, Callus and Toll. I guess I was just. Thinking, what would a what would a Gerite uh, regiment be like, and what would a an Azerite regiment be like, and how would they get along? I just sort of am at yeah. In a way, I'm quite proud of it, just for all the things that we oh, had yeah. to build from <laughs> from nothing, really. That dichotomy has been has been a case in Age of Sigmar for so long, and I'm surprised it took so long for like i guess black library to really have a story to focus in on that dichotomy no it was nice to uh, make just make the the realm itself a really important feature as well also true that's something yeah. that i think is unique to age of sigma mm-hmm. as opposed to old world fantasy or i guess 40k as well but sort of that unique character of the realm just make it not just a backdrop but really sort of integral to what's happening in the story sure i felt it was a sort of light bulb moment for me i was reading a novella by evan dickin which i always forget the name of <laughs> and i have again it's when they're in shaman and there's a slaneshi demon under a castle or something like that but the the realm of metal was really well portrayed yeah. and the plot wouldn't have worked anywhere else uh, yeah but i there. feel bad for not remembering because i can remember the cover and we talked about this when we talked with him i was just looking up to make sure i was saying the right one yeah i was, I was gonna find the spreadsheet yeah <laughs> but yeah reading that sort of way back whenever that was it was like ding yes this is what nature sigma story should be and i've always tried since then to to, to apply that that, that's funny because that was the story that I was like, yes, this is when I was like, this is what AOS means. Because, yeah, <laughs> like th- with the way that the realm was so active in it. So I remember before the first uh, 
the first Realmgate War stories, the, the Call of Archaeon stories I was writing, they kept coming back with their edits from Nick, like, no, more AOSE. Uh, <laughs> but that, I, I think it's probably the same for everyone back then. Like, the, 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 it's too much like the old world, you know. It's uh-huh. more fantastical. Yeah. What is the difference for writing from the old world to writing to Age of Sigmar? Because we went from the old world, we're in Age of Sigmar, but we're also going to go back to the old world too. So like what what are the real things that kind of like define for you writing an AOS story? I was actually asked a very similar question recently uh, in another context. And basically, in essence, what's the difference between Old World Warhammer and Age of Sigmar? And I think... The best way to say it is that Old World Warhammer is its a, a recognizable world to our own in which there happens to be magic, whereas Age of Sigma is a magical world. Everything there is governed and affected and shaped by magic. Everything is inherently magic in some way, and that is how I see the difference between the two. Okay. That's a really cool distinction. Here's okay. I got a question on that list of questions you don't have to answer. Which which do you prefer? Uh, and the answer can be neither too. Uh, like picking a favorite kid. I mean, yeah. I've, I mean, I've got a huge love for the old world, of course. You know, got into it playing and then writing, but I also really sort of learned to uh, sort of see what's great and and unique about age of sigma as well i mean i may have struggled with it a bit at first like you know with uh, the core of icon and and my other first stories but as we then got on to things like hamilcar and and realm slayer and court of the blind king you know probably finding my stride there with age of sigma and and maybe even helping to sort of shape it a little perhaps and uh yeah, seeing this, this fantastic, huge sandbox in which we can do pretty much anything within uh, within certain boundaries. Yeah, true. But we can certainly blow up a big city or, or have uh, have the Daughters of Cain annex a major city of order. We couldn't have done that in uh, in fantasy. We couldn't have oh, had no. uh, <laughs> the Witch King pitch up in Marienburg. They know this is mine now. <laughs> you you lit up a little bit when you're talking about Age of Sigmar as the, it progressively went, so I feel like that's answering my question. Yeah. Bit, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I feel like, and, and this is my opinion, I'm kind of jumping ahead maybe a little bit. I feel like Grombrindle really like gave us a good insight into what your thoughts of the realms were and how you were able to insert that character into all these different time periods and this progression that we like to me, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing how few years we've spent in the age of Sigmar and yet the depth of like stories and lore that we have for it now. And for me, Grombrindle absolutely demonstrated that. So my, my question is, did you approach that as a bunch of individual short stories? Or did you approach that as a story with a bunch of gaps? So initially, I think they initially wanted a like a serialized 
story in a conventional sense, like a, they, they would one would follow from the other and there would be an end. Uh, but I, I was having real trouble coming up with a story for him and so kind of counter-proposed this idea of a thematically connected set of separate stories. So the, the theme is that... So the idea is that Grombrindel is forged from... Grumley reforged Grombrindel from the stories about Grombrindel of all Duarden in the realms. Which is amazing. So that is the idea for the story that that each of these stories are a story from one of the Duarden groups that Grum, that Grumney is using to to reforge him, which we see in the final one, and they all come together in the final short story where you see Grumney himself going around the realms, gathering the stories up and and forging him at the end. And it was nice to. Uh, most of them are quite low key. There's not a great deal of uh, fighting in them. I think the only one is a bit of a fuffle in, uh, in the Caradron and Fire Slayer ones, but the only one that has some. No, no, the, the Iron Weld and Fire Slayer ones. The, the only one that has some serious combat in really is the is the Caradron one. Um, and uh, the I think. Uh, Old Whitebeard special is probably one of the best things I've ever written. <laughs> yeah, I love that one because it it almost is a a miniature story of the larger story that you've written because it is these short little vignettes with massive gaps in time. So it really mirrors the rest of the collection of stories that you did for Ground Brindle as well. Mm. So it was I, so different I, I, than I ever done. It was I had the idea of it as kind of like a family saga sort of. Thing, which is obviously not my style. <laughs> 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 um, but no, I really enjoyed it. Just following the 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 one Duarden from when she was a little girl to when she's an old woman, mm. and following the fortunes of the tavern through the the necroquake, basically before and after, and and how she's affected by a Grumbindle without knowing, of course, that's who he was. And yeah. I just read the, the short story from Grumbernal that was not in the Grumbernal collection, and I'm blanking on the name. There were two. Uh, there was Old White, White Fur or something. The Ancestor's um, Hall is one of them. Ancestor's Hall, Hall and I think Old White Fur. So Ancestor's Hall was the one I just read. And the thing that really struck me about that is it's set in the realm of Shayesh, mm-hmm. where the White Dwarf shows up in an underworld where weird things are happening, to not completely spoil the whole thing. Hey. Uh, and I, I particularly appreciate it because one of my favorite things about the Mortal Realms period is just the realm of Shayesh, how if you believe in something, it comes to be a thing, Right. And in particular, I really appreciated the fact that you created a character that was forged from the memories of who he was. So you essentially created a character that is like the underworlds of the realm of Shayesh that then went to go and deal with one of the realms of the underworld of Shayesh, right? And, and, and that's also one of the things that I think that you've done really well is 
you've added this context and this texture to the idea of what Shayish is. And that story illustrated it particularly well in my mind. So it was a really nice unmined uh, thing there about basically the Duarden underworlds supposedly being locked away and hidden from Nagash, which implies they're still there. <laughs> yep. That was super cool. So, I, I, yeah, that was awesome. Other white dwarf questions, or we'll keep on moving. I did have one more. So, yeah, please. He always has a white beard, he always has a red cape. If you were to have two signature items that of clothing or whatever, right, that you would be seeing around, what would those be? Beard and cape. I always needed an author trademark, like, uh, you know, Aaron's hat. or Exactly. Ooh. I guess I couldn't go wrong with a big uh, two-handed fiery axe, could I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Pretty sweet. They'd leave, they'd leave you alone, I think, yeah. I think I would have a suit of uh, Gorgon Terminator armor and uh, nice. Gotrick's axe. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, perfect. And then it would really help when you go back to those meetings to talk about stories. If you've got the armor and the axe, or you know, I can <laughs> question what you're going to say. Have some weight. Hey guys, could we have this meeting outside? Uh, <laughs> I'm in trouble with the door here. <laughs> and then another kind of off question. Both Grombrindle and Gotrek deal a lot with drinking, uh, drinking beer, etc. And a lot of like the specifics of it, the Whitebeard special in particular deals with a lot of brewing. Is that a personal interest that you have or is that something that's like kind of just naturally developed through writing the characters? Uh, I guess you couldn't really be English in the early 2000s, I think, without knowing something about beer. <laughs> <laughs> um I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but uh, Google and YouTube are your friends and uh, you know something <laughs> about something and need to know more. That's awesome. Uh, cool. Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll keep, uh, we'll, we'll shift gears a little bit in that I don't think we finished the Hamilcar section. I don't think we gave it its due diligence. No, true. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the questions was, where did Hamilcar come from? And I feel like we've, we've, tap that a little bit again listeners you have to thank david but then you also have to thank nick kime for ensuring that hamilcar kept getting get delivered to us here's the big question this is aaron's this isn't a listener question this is an aaron question where's hamilcar <laughs> where'd he go what's what's up so uh yeah so we we left him was it age of enlightenment is that the title of the story that was set after uh yeah. age of enlightenment yeah. is the most recent one that i see yeah, so that was that was the currently first and only story set after uh, uh, Champion of the Gods. And True. Yeah. I'd love to write more. I mean, it's not happening yet. I mean, I do, ha I do hope and I'm vaguely confident, maybe. I mean, there certainly seems to be sort of fan love for him. Sure. So, oh, for sure. Emanating from this podcast <laughs> right now. <laughs> And uh, he had a Warhammer TV special. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we want mugs, t-shirts, uh, computer games, all of the above. Absolutely. Everything. Yes, and uh, hammer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, nothing's happening just now, but okay. I do hope that that there is enough love for him that he will come back. I mean, when I when I first sort of did it, I was imagining something like Caiaphas Kane that would just run and run forever <laughs> but uh so did it's, I. it's a different you're working in a different world in in fantasy compared to 40k gotcha and uh but yeah 
All I'm saying it was 2019 since the last story. I mean, we're we're yeah. out here. We're dying, <laughs> dying of thirst. Yeah, and it does tie into one of our, I think, our first listener question oh, from God, Dark Alex. Listeners. Yeah. yeah. Those of you who want to add listener questions, all you have to do is sit in our Discord at themortalrealms.com slash Discord and just wait until Aaron randomly goes questions now and then throw them as fast as you can. Yeah, furiously. But Darth Alec asks, how much room do you have to write Hamilcar? Because you had mentioned that you don't really pitch. You kind of get told like, hey, and more Hamilcar, please. But what's that like since he is your character? Do they just tell you more Hamilcar and then you come up with everything? Or is there more established groundwork they kind of want from him? So in terms of actually coming up with the story in the first place, I guess it's the kind of, same with anything. You might send a few ideas and they'll say, yes, we like that one. In terms of the writing, uh, so obviously, yes, he does sometimes say and do some uh, outlandish things. And you might think, is that going to be all right? Like, is it okay? For, he punched Sigmar, didn't he? Did, or, or at some point? Or he punched some guy? I can't remember what it was. Yeah, like maybe he's saying something unkind towards another uh, Stormcast, perhaps, or he's making some joke about how two types of unit are indistinguishable to him. <laughs> and like, is that... Not a reflection of okay. real life opinions, <laughs> of course. And, <laughs> right. I imagine it, yeah, it, it all got through. I'm, try, I, I'm trying to think if there was anything that was taken out. Maybe there was, but I certainly can't remember it. Certainly nothing, nothing major. Okay. Yeah. So, so a bit, I say, yeah, quite a bit of freedom. I, I think there is a, an understanding, a bit like with Kane, um, who was a bit of a, you know, he blazed the trail for. Uh, a bit of comedy there is an understanding that it's a bit tongue-in-cheek and it shouldn't necessarily be all taken as uh, (laughs) appropriate or as the uh, as absolute canon you know if Hamilcar says it don't take it (laughs) well even if he doesn't say it if it seems like Cetra uh, Cetra is being reborn in the moral realms you can't you can't assume that it's uh, canon right that's the whole thing he blew up he blew up in Age of Enlightenment (laughs) Yeah. So I had a question about Amakar that he was a Lord Castellan, but now he's not. Was that a conscious choice? Was that like you figuring out the character as you were writing it more? Or like, what was that process like? Initially, um, so the book was commissioned as Night Questor. Mm -hmm. Because I guess because that's a model and they thought we can sell a model. Mm. Um, I don't know when or why we then changed it to Hamilcar, Champion of the Gods. I mean, I'm glad we did in hindsight because it's a more sensible title because it's Hamilcar and he won't have a book without his name on it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, it was always uh, the plan to do that. Mm -hmm. Probably because it offers more scope for him to do stuff sure. in the yeah. realms. I mean, a knight questor is supposed to be, uh, uh, Lord Castellan is supposed to be guarding castles, really. <laughs> supposed pumping <laughs> around the realms doing stuff. Cool. Great transition and appropriate, and I can't wait to see it pay dividends. 
can't I can't pull my glasses off with my headphones on, but that was supposed to be a dramatic <laughs> stare down. Uh, kidding. Um, other Hamilcar questions that you guys want to talk about? No, I mean, because I just wanted to gush about how much we like Hamilcar. <laughs> it seems repetitive. Yeah, I don't want to keep beating, beating that drum, but um, go ahead. I did have another question. Um, so he was from Kartha, right? His first appearance was in the audio Beast of Kartha, but he, in actual fact, he's from Azir. He's from the Eternal Winterlands. Listen to the uh, audio drama, what's it called? Palace of Memory? Because you'll, you'll, get, you'll get quite a bit of that in there. All right. That's so obviously, uh, I missed that one. I, I like the idea of the natural place for him to come from would have been Gur, but I like the idea of him not coming from Gur, coming from somewhere else. I thought that was more interesting. Well, and it's cool that like he fits, like right? Like he came from somewhere else, but seems to, like he's in his element in Gur, right? And I can see how that'd be uh, compelling. Anyways. All right, so I, I think uh, a segue from what we were talking about in terms of how much leeway do you have writing Hamilcar would lead into just for further questions about uh, writing for Black Library. I think a lot of our listener questions came on that topic. So um, in no particular order, another one from Darth Alec, uh, they ask, uh, does he, in this case you, uh, do you pitch the Skaven ideas or does Black Library just have you pegged as a Skaven guy? It sounds like you do, don't do a lot of pitching. However, you're doing a fair bit of Skaven stuff. How does that work? So, yeah, I mean... I know there are other guys who write and love Skaven, like Clint would be the obvious one, C.L. Werner, and I know Robbie McNevin loves his Skaven. Uh, but I suppose I have uh, sort of established myself as a Skaven guy, someone who knows Skaven and loves writing about Skaven. Would probably, I don't know, marry a Skaven if uh, <laughs> <laughs> the right one came along. Sure. Well, we were talking about it like how earlier about how well, okay, don't let this go to your head, but how funny like Skaven can be. And as far as Black Library authors go, I have a hard time think of, thinking of any of them who write funnier story stories than you. Is that a sentence? Yeah, that makes sense. And that, so like, I feel like you guys go hand in hand in terms of funny Skaven stories. And like, it's all my favorite things that come from you have that through line of comedy. And so I think they, they uh, talk about marriage and they, they are married, uh, or you guys are married very uh, closely in my mind, so... Yeah, I don't know if I don't pitch because I don't really know how to or to whom <laughs> uh, or because I've not had great success with it in the past or just because stories do just keep coming and I'm ha perfectly happy to do them. So, sure. <laughs> so, so pitching doesn't doesn't quite... I mean, there are, there are some, some stories I like to do or, or have wanted to do, but ultimately they know what they want and... It's much, I mean, yeah, I guess there's always the chance that they might want something they don't even know they want until they hear it. But, uh, well, you've touched yeah. on a listener question. I'm I sure it's just your yeah, 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 Go ahead. Well, you do. Say, yeah. this, with that context, these questions almost sound like twisting the knife, but I feel like we have to ask them. But Twist. one of our patrons, Will Lawless, asked, um, <laughs> what's your favorite idea for something uh, that Black Library shot down? Is there something you pitch that you would like to try again someday, essentially? So when we were talking about pitching and how I didn't do it, etc., the only thing I could think of that I remember pitching was uh, for a Nork Dead Dog uh, story. You know, the Ogwin bodyguard special character from uh, oh, yep. Codex Imperial Guard? Yeah, I, I pitched a couple of those. Uh, again, it was to Nick, I think. 
and I think each successive time, I think the face just got a little blanker. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, do not want your knock dead dog story. <laughs> but I thought it would have been great. I mean, I think we have seen some Margaret stuff uh, lately. I think in, in you know in Black Library fiction mm-hmm. and between in crime, and uh, but. I think my Nork would probably have been a bit more comedic than <laughs> the blackly, the very grim, dark, sort of oppressed, uh, abhuman that that we get in crime. Right. Sure. Well, there's the new, there's that 40k video game, Dark Tide, and yeah, all the Ogrins in that, as well as bringing Ogrins to the. And then some fiction was released alongside that, wasn't it? Did, was it Sarah Corkwell? Did she write it? I think so, yeah. You need to double check that. But the the Augurans are very comedic in that game, and I think people, audiences are picking up on it, so it might be time. Now <laughs> back time. I'll mention it. I, know. You know, I mean, you just mentioned that there are you know, maybe other ideas. Are there other types of stories or characters or places that you uh want to write about but until someone asks you to do it you're not going to uh, and and aj say more i was saying specifically this is a, a patron question from dog tired oh was it did i miss it yeah it's what's a character across warhammer you'd like to write but haven't had the chance to do yet oh my gosh good question dog tired yeah definitely volternos the the king of the sith the uh the sure. F deepkin special mm-hmm. character i did some reading on them uh, for Court of the Blind King. And yeah, I think he's got great story potential in him. Would you somehow link the stories between Blind King and any future uh, Deepkin stories? You know, have some crossover in some way? It would depend on what the story was about. I mean, I was thinking it would be really great to tell almost like a historical story with him from, you know, from when he was not the last of the Sithae sure. to through the fall to present. Whether I would have any interest in like a historical uh, AOS story or not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But obviously, then it would make no sense to have a link to yeah, Court of the Blind King. I mean, true. I'd also love to write a sequel to Court of the Blind King. I think that would be uh, yeah, yeah, it'd be great. I love the I love the structure of that book. I, I, we don't need to have a whole segment on it, but like I, I really liked how you were like it was very. And this sounds like not a compliment at all, but it is in that it was very like structured well, like organized in a very like compelling way to like read to that story and just sort of he went went from kingdom to kingdom and so on. so it's interesting that one because it's the first novel i wrote after doing the two uh after doing the realm slates mm-hmm. and writing audio really sort of focused me on what's really necessary and what's not okay that's an interesting point and yeah. so I, like i talked about how i'd written the first draft of the first realm slayer with lots of narration and stuff mm-hmm. and i had like a description of them walking down a corridor and like i don't need to do that i can just end the dialogue here have some sound effects of walking and then and then with it <laughs> and that was again a bit like before one of those revelatory light bulb moments that and so for a time after that i think my novels got quite short i think caught the blind king to this day is probably one of my shortest novels it's probably, it might even be a little bit under 90,000 words, which is, I think, for comparison, Champion of the Gods was about 110, 115. Okay. Hmm. 
Well, I'll tell you what, from a, a person who enjoyed the book, I didn't even notice that it was short. <laughs> there you go. Snappy mm. is what we call that. That's one. right. It's just got, it's got everything you need in it. It's just uh, cut out all the bits that you don't need. <laughs> sure, sure. Trim the fat. Uh, it was one of those books that I like, oh, I might start reading this over the weekend. And I started on a Saturday morning and I was, I finished it that day. <laughs> but because it was good, not because. Which I was going to say, which is a good sign. That's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. And I know, Aaron, you said you didn't want this to be a quarter of the blanking section. I have another idea too, so keep going. Too late. <laughs> so we had mentioned like how, like for, for you, like Evan Dickens, uh, The Red Hours was like, oh, this is how Age of Sigmar can work. For me, Court of the Blind King was like, Oh, so this is what the Adoneth are like, because they were a wholly new faction in Age of Sigmar. What was it like to like write like the first novel for like a brand new group in the Age of Sigmar? So I've written two short stories to mm-hmm. dip my toe into that pool. It's a deep pool. <laughs> yeah, it's it is always nice to be there first to play with a thing because sort of you know that that then is how that thing is going to be for perhaps quite some time mm-hmm. and like if I have a look at Eidneth stories sort of hence I do sort of try to sort of see if any of that has come through from uh, from Court of the Blanking I don't think it really has but I'm sure readers it's still the only novel. About, I mean, uh, there has been... Ooh, is it the Richard Strauss Lumineth novel featured? I uh, did it. And of course, Soul Slayer. Yeah, I was going to say Soul Slayer. Um, some of like the courtly intrigue stuff you see a lot of in Court of the Blind King made its way into Soul Slayer too. So I feel like that is now a part of like Adoneth identity as courtly. I think intrigue. I had a lot of fun with... It was very similar, actually, to when I did the Iron Hands books, which I know this obviously went on about that. Mm. Um, but trying to pull together some sort of different law areas, some of which, you know, maybe some newer stuff sort of undoes some older stuff, but some people love the older stuff and trying to make them work. And so that's still true in a way. That was really satisfying with that. And with Ideneth, it was again looking through the battle tome and trying to think about how a society functions with all this. For some reason, my editor was really fascinated with how how do they drink? <laughs> show us, show us how that happens, and trying to work out how things like families work when, like, one in a hundred child. 99 out of 100 childs are going to be sort of sickly namati. Mm-hmm. How do like lineages function? Because they've clearly like built this sort of pseudo high elf society. Like, but how do they do that with all these sort of problems and, and just trying to get that to happen, building up this whole idea about sort of um, adoptions and, and, uh, things like that was well and you didn't do it just the one time because you had the different like little conclaves there yeah. that also had their own twists on it too so like you did it and then you had to twist it which doing it in the same story must have been interesting i think it's one of the things the ways you make things interesting in something like age of sigma like you say 
I think, oh, I can't work the question. Someone had asked me about a similar question, but about Skaven. And the example was uh, the Headtaker novel, where, like, so all the characters, so you had um, the main Skaven characters were Creek Headtaker, of course, uh, Scar, the Scar, Bloodtail, the uh, Bodyguard, and Gracie Rizal. And for all of them, you had the essential Skaven characteristics, but for each one of them, you sort of taken one and just tweaked it a bit higher. Yeah. So Creek Headtaker, well, let's ignore Creek Headtaker because he's just crazy. So <laughs> Scar, Bloodtail, he's. He's he's got the uh, the self interest and and the cowardice that characterises the Skaven, but he's so afraid of Queek that he becomes incredibly weirdly brave. Mm-hmm. And Roselle, who is the other, I mean, he's ridiculously cowardly. I actually quite enjoyed that. I had to, I had these ideas of what was going to happen in the scene, but like, no, that wouldn't happen. So like, I think the battle at the end in the in the plot in the plot outline, Grace Rizal was going to fight the giant. And then as I was writing it, like, no, he's obviously never going to do that because he's an absolute coward, the biggest coward of all Skaven. So this hilarious <laughs> scene where Rizal and, and Scar Bloodtail are fighting over the Gracie's scaf- staff because Rizal wants to push it onto the other guy. Like, no, you do it. I'm out. And it's the same with their sort of Padukin, like finding their characteristics and then sort of you're on your soundboard, you're putting one up to 10 and one down. Tweaking things, yeah, for sure. Um, You talked about uh, having these be like like basically high elf, you know, equivalents or something like that. I think we might even talked about it online at some point, but I really remember liking, and I can't remember even what the details were, but liking the parallels that you were drawing between previous elven like cultures and like it was great callbacks to people who who were familiar with sort of the old world versions of, of elves even if, i mean even if there are very loose connections in terms of just like what what does cavalry, cavalry mean but you're underwater and things like that what's the silver silver helm like equivalent which i thought was really nice because in my head i've always considered the deep can and like a stand-in for in this case more for the wood elves but really like what if you took elves everybody knows elves is creatures that live in the wood like woods wood elves like like that classic trope but what if i just change the environment entirely how does that change what a culture means and so like yes they're still isolationists in to some degree and now that they're they're underwater but like how can you translate that but sort of draw those parallels to previous elven cultures so whether or not it was intentional or not i feel like it really showed through uh in that novel which i really like well it was really because the the sifa were instructed by techless and given sort of the they were instructed, sort of taught the old gods and stuff like that and the history of Ulf one kind of. And so, yeah, it felt natural to me that that would have been passed down in some kind of degraded form to the Ideneth. Yeah. Well, it's the sort of thing that they would never put in a battle tome. Well, I mean, I shouldn't say never, but I, they would tend to not put those types of things in battle tomes. That's the sort of thing that is only really explorable in stories like this. And so it's a great opportunity to do so. I, I had a, a kind of a follow-up question because we've been talking about all these different stories and all these different characters and they're so completely different you don't have like some authors have a you can tell it's this by this author because the characters all kind of do the same thing so the the first quest part of the question is do the characters that you write live in your head and the second question is how do you keep them all straight i don't know so so i'll often write like a half-page character bio, as if it was like a you know an, an RPG NPC, say. Um, 
I actually did for Hamilcar I did very little I remember I just did like a I, I wrote I had a piece of plain paper and I'd written Hamilcar in the middle in a big circle and then like kind of like just lines coming off to other characters how they reacted <laughs> and what he thought of them in one way and what they thought of him the other way and that seemed to work really well oh I like that and I did something similar for can I have that piece of paper? <laughs> okay. That also sounds like a very Hamilcar thing to do. Of like, <laughs> exactly. Write like, his own name down and then yeah. other people. See, I still got it. Might still have it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, others, how do I keep them straight? Goodness, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe something like Kragnos, which has a, a lot of characters. And I don't know. I think I think they probably do just live in the head to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. They keep themselves straight. <laughs> Someone's got to. Yeah. Things like, I mean, yes, there is sort of editing involved to make sure that they're particularly, I think, like the dialogue sounds right for that person. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think when I'm writing, like when I'm writing, perhaps when I get to the very end, I do maybe worry that they've they're not the same as they were at the beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. That is where, you know, second, third, fourth passes come in. And more or less, they, they are the same. Obviously, they, they actually change a bit over the course of the book, you'd hope. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, think, I think I do. As I say, I'm a planner, so I do um, put some thought into who the characters are before I begin. New characters will, of course, pop up, uh, like Hamilcar, for instance, in, in Beasts of Carthage. And, and actually, uh, I do like this one. Um, the best friend, Lurian's best friend in uh, in Course of the Blind King. Oh, sure. Yeah. He, he wasn't in any plan. He just appears with the other friends in the first chapter. And then I wanted someone to notice him as he was running the fleeing. So I had him there. And then he was going to get killed. And they fight together. But he survived and then thought, actually, yeah, it'd be good to have someone for him to talk to uh, on the trip. And then he was going to die. He was going to die fighting the ogres in the first raid. He managed to worm out of that uh, before finally. Uh, that was probably the hardest death I've, I've written ever, I think. Yeah. Harder than, harder than Snorri. Really? Wow. Okay. Oh, wow. The only one that came close, I think, was the horse in, in Kinsley. Yeah. When the horse died. <laughs> Whenever animals, yeah. That idea of characters does tie into a listener question that I just saw Aaron highlighting. Truman, uh, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, from Chrisling, which is of the characters you've written, which is the one you're like most pleased with how they were presented or like received? Um, so, like, that would be a good example of like, oh, I wrote this as the best friend. He was there for a chapter and then he kept on showing. Uh, but there are any other characters like that that you were just very pleased with how they ended up in the final result? I'm really quite pleased with the uh, sort of the frenemy thing with uh, Caseus Braun and Alicia Lysander from Kragnos, the two free mm. Yeah. I liked how they started out hating each other and sort of worked together and became kind of friends. And I really loved the the scene they had together outside the gates of Akar before Kragnos turns up mm-hmm. where they talk and Braun's kind of reveals that he's actually quite intelligent. He just 
pretends to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. went to a good school, basically. <laughs> yeah, he's like basically an Az- like he went to Azerite school and everything, but he just needs to be gurish <laughs> to stay in control. Sure, I get it. What do you think it's like with this with these goofballs? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I get I get that feeling uh, every every day. I'm trying to think if there's any other character based questions. I mean, I guess just to build off that a little bit, were any of your characters particularly surprising that you were surprised where they ended up? Like, whoop, they just got off the rails to some degree. So yeah, so, yeah as I mentioned, I, I do plan. Sometimes they change, but they tend to change in quite small ways. Okay. Like, for instance, they'll do something different in a scene and you've got to write a new chapter to account for it. Overall arcs tend to stay the same. So for major characters, at least, they don't change too much. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I've got no, to that's you on that one. No, no, no. <laughs> that, that, that is an answer. Exactly. Um, all right, cool. I know. I didn't think of one. Um, originally, um, Max Schreiber was going to die in Kinslayer. But it was right after Ulrika and Snorri was coming. I thought, this is too much. <laughs> it's one step too far. I live it will, it's not essential that he die for the sake <laughs> of the story, unlike with, with Ulrika and Snorri. And, mm-hmm. and it will probably detract from that. That's okay. the one instance. <laughs> Talk about a few things about that would, I guess, contribute to your writing. I'm trying to group some of these questions together, give a theme behind it. Patron of the show, Neil Hearn, uh, they had asked, to what extent do writers uh, need to be aware of the overarching storylines of AOS? And I guess he asked furthermore, like, are, are your texts being checked for inaccuracies in the lore? Are they being sort of background checked, cross, cross-examined? Is there sort of putting your heads together in terms of how these stories interact with other publications or other so, stories? In so most world? stories don't really interact much with others uh, yeah. so with aos i mean i guess there is an advancing global milieu there's a you know if there's stuff happening in the realms that it sort of behooves us a bit to allude to like you know the the soul wars are behind us now and now you know there's the age of the beast and and then presumably there'll be something else to follow so the books we write will be set in that time so uh, mm-hmm. it's useful to read the, so i've read the, the broken realm books and i'll read the battle time of whatever i'm in and if i'm writing about mm-hmm. lumineth i'll write all up here read all the i say all as many as i can of the lumineth books within reason and um and yeah so so i know all i sort of need to know to at least get started and presumably there's some i mean the editor will themselves uh know as much or more of the of the law than i do obviously there's some trust that i know the law and i'm not going to do something absurd i mean small errors are probably gonna mm-hmm. uh slip through always uh but yeah we all do our best. <laughs> You kind of, that kind of answers another question from Darth Alec, who had asked, uh, how much reading of the lore uh, do you do before a new project? I feel like I often see you reading a new thing. Um, so whether or not you're doing it for projects or not, I guess I can't say. But it seems like you're a, a Sigma reader, uh, just like the rest of us. I used to pride myself on having read all Asia Sigma releases. I 
I don't know that there's any point in which I, I could have said that, but yeah. At um, some point though, I think I, I, I started writing for other publishers and I maybe did a Horace Heresy uh, project and so did some reading for that. And I got out mm. of just reading everything as soon as it came out. And now I'm just like I was with fantasy, basically. Like I've read most, certainly everything I need to have read. <laughs> and, mm. and and will find find the things that I need to read as and when I need to read them. But, but yeah, the days of days of my having read everything, I think, are gone now. <laughs> I'm asking even to ask, but I'm gonna ask anyways. Is there a uh, is there a black library author, but in the age of Seagram space, uh, whose work you will always read when it always comes out? Guy Haley. I, uh, I haven't read Arkanaut South yet. It's on my list. But... <gasps> One of the best. But it's great. Space, it's good. Uh, was was awesome, and uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, the Fireslayer story he wrote, fantastic. Arkanoth, very, very David Geimer esque. It's very funny. It's good. It's, it's. I read the short story for it. I read the. Um, I was called him. Perfect. All right, I have, I have a random question, which will probably never happen. But if you were to write a good omen style book with one other Black Library author, in which you are in control of one main character and they are in control of another, who would you ask to write the other character? Who would you have a preference to do that with? Years ago. Josh and I talked about doing a like a Ramus and a Lord Relic to Ramus like audio series to to sort of see what happened to him next and uh, and that we would take turns. Hey, don't don't be <laughs> I, I can't remember now what else was <laughs> going to happen in it. Uh, we just sort of talked about it when we were sort of together at a at a GW event. Might have been alive and. Uh, I think there, there was some perhaps polite interest in it at first. But, uh, <laughs> never happened some of that. Or maybe something, uh, something Skaven with Clint. Oh, sure. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, you just had a short a Skaven short like, story come uh, out. Yeah. Just a little bit ago. Maybe something like with Skaven clans. Like, he can do pestilence and I'll do Skyer and then he'll do Mulder. Well, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be super nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Gosh, man. <laughs> the question kills me. I'll be 13 um, books, one for every. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, okay. All right, if we're going to get into hypotheticals, then I'll give my hypothetical question. I think I also asked you this online a long time ago, but I'll ask it again. Uh, I'm, put, I'm putting together uh, Age of Sigmar Avengers or like Justice, Justice League, and I'm getting authors to contribute their, their characters to it. I feel like you've got some obvious ones, but I'll ask you what your answer is. Who would you prefer to see of your characters? Uh, uh, signed up for the Age of Sigmar Avengers slash Justice League superhero group. Well, Lurian's definitely got that Loki thing going on. Oh, true. Um, so he could be a wild card, but I'd obviously have to pick Hamilcar first and foremost. <laughs> yeah, he's he's he is the he's Tony Stark, isn't he? Sure. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. You you more so the most have some obvious answers. So yeah. good. good. Good, good choice. Good choices, I should say. Um, all right, let's we'll, we'll, we'll write off a couple more because uh, I know you're probably getting late there. Uh, okay so question shared by uh patron of the show patrons of the show actually dog tired and klaus ma uh they wanted to know um what if any outside influences do you bring into your writing i remember certainly when i first started very it's gonna sound ridiculous but really, really interested in my, influenced in my fight scenes by uh dragon ball I, nice uh, <laughs> it was absolutely dragon ball yeah Big, big Dragon Ball fan in my teens, and uh, and 
only just recently actually uh, watched Super. And um, even though it's on Kids Channel and I can't escape the fact that it's a kids show, <laughs> still watched it anyway. Um, and yeah, I, I remember sort of really having that when I was doing like fights and battles. That's fun. Do you, are you, are you inspired by any other like creators? And this is actually a question from Davey from the moral realms when he was going to originally be on the show. He wanted to know if, um, just in, in creative spaces, does anybody out there inspire you other creators that you, you know, look up to? So I guess read everything really and anything good sort of will trigger something in the head. So I particularly sort of love the way someone like Bernard Cornwell writes. Okay. It's very simple, but very snappy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I have modeled my style a lot on Bill King from reading his books. And then in a sense, sort of writing continuations of his books in um, sort of short stories and novels. Again, I love the way he, this, I recently read Aunt Reynolds' First Nights of Britannia uh, book, and I was struck by how similar it was to those sort of early Gothic and Felix. It's, it's quite a lot of beautiful description, but it's very simple, and the action is pretty much constant, but there's, it's that sort of simplicity of, of the language. It makes it really easy to read, and that is, I think that's what I, I try to do, sort of when I write my stuff. I try to make it quite conversational almost, that it could be read, basically. Sure. Read aloud to someone. I think it comes through. It's not even a question, but just like that idea of making it more conversational and the fact that there is like the written script out in the wild. I really want to see like some high school theater kids doing like acting scenes out of Realm Slayer. <laughs> I think that'd be hilarious. That would be great. It was nice to see some of the actors on stage at the Black Library Weekend uh, doing uh, some some short scenes. That was quite fun. Oh, man. Yeah, it must awesome. have been great just to That's see that. We had some audience members uh, up as well to uh, play certain parts. To build off to your, your answer there, just things that you're reading. Uh, what are you reading right now? I've got a few things on the go. So I'm reading uh, I'm reading the third Orion book by Darius Hinks, Council of Beasts. I'm reading the second Knights of Britannia book, I'm reading a short story set in the Traveller universe, an RPG game, if you know them. I'm reading... Yeah, that's it. But I also have... I'm reading Squirrel Girl to my daughter. Oh, fun. Bedtime. Okay. Not tonight, yeah. though, because now is her bedtime. And I have got the last book of Adrian Tchaikovsky's um, architects of fate coming from the library and when that comes oh, nice. drop everything i'm currently reading and those are, those are really running the gamut there uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of, of topics yeah uh, that's fun if i had more time i'd ask you hey why are you reading orion and bretonia books david but i'll leave that as as a mystery um so uh guys any other additional uh questions that you you want to ask right, cool then i guess it's the last one would be hey david 
what's what's next for you? What should, what should we be on the lookout for? So I've I've written, finished, sent in, done, dusted, written a blurb, a novel for Age of Sigma, which I can't tell you about yet. Ooh. That's my favorite type of novel. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm currently pitching another while writing written a couple of short stories for Black Library as well and a couple elsewhere. But doing some RPG work while I uh, sort of fill my summer days. Okay. But very cool. Soon, hopefully. That's awesome. Oh and of course Thank uh you. yeah I did that um Total War story. That was no oh, yeah. Oh, sure. oh, very cool. Well I think that might bring us to a close. I'll, I'll just remind listeners is if you want to get the novelization of Realm Slayer, I already forget what the, the subtitle is, Legend of the Doomseeker. I don't know when this episode is going to be done, but it should be released this upcoming Saturday, which is the 14th, if I've got my dates right. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's what I saw nope, online. That's right. You're right. All right, cool, Bates. So go ahead and check it out. Uh, it's too late to get the special edition, which I have right here, pointing at it on my little screen. It's right up there. With the with the with the little e that is an f on the binding, but we won't get into that. It's not David's fault. Um, so uh, <laughs> there's that. No, I actually think I like the uh, you know, glorious as the special edition is. I, I really like that cover on the uh, on the standard. Mm-hmm. It is a nice cover. Well, now I got to go get that one too. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> We're gonna get it anyway. You know it. Yeah, come on. You could. It's it's just Brian Blessed roaring. Yep, <laughs> um, it really is. <laughs> That's true. That's true. He's turning Super Saiyan as we speak. Yeah, right in front of our <laughs> eyes. Um, all right. Well, David, any final plugs? Anything else you want to impart on the listeners? Because here's a chance. Oh no, we're fine. Just follow those links, I guess. And <laughs> if you like one of my books? Read more of my books. <laughs> That's all I do. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. This has been great. Um, if there's nothing else, I'll do the I'll do the exit thing. Here it comes. Uh, it's time for our reforging. But Sigmar Willem will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord. Drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at the Mortal Realms. Paul, where can they find you online? At PJ Shard. Hey, well, where can they find you online? At Age of Sever or at Sever. Hey, David, where can they find you on the internet? I didn't ask before. Twitter at Warlord Gaimer or uh, I have a Facebook author page as well. Okay, very cool. And um, Aaron, you can find me at Dosesos on Twitter and you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com. John, Finn, Painless. Hour and a half, basically. Good job, Ooh, team. One take. Yeah, did one take. Uh, we did a lot. <laughs> From right, the top. You know, now we'll do it for real this time. Let me stop.